We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. They're going to kill the love of my life. Daisy! If I don't go back to what I was doing. This Friday. Our line of work is quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me. Then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain for love. Collide in theaters Friday. Rated PG-13. Maybe inappropriate for children under 13. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, sponsored by realitysportsonline.com. Be sure to use the promo code WirePod and sign up today. Derek Van Riper here with Mario Puig today on the Friday installment of the Rotowire Football Pod. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, and can please leave us a nice review. We would greatly appreciate that. A lot of random news items to get to because training camp underway for a good number of teams. And for those who haven't started, that's happening here probably between now and Monday in most cases. Uh, Le'Veon Bell, we found out he's going to have a suspension appeal heard in mid-August. And 
I, I don't understand why it takes that long for an organization the size of the NFL to just deal with this matter. Like, how, how much work could there possibly be to investigate here? I mean, it just it, has to be that thing where uh, the, the, the powerful person has the interview with the the less powerful person or like the the meeting in any case and then they just make them wait to remind them of who's who right like goodell's schedule i I just i I think of the the jim gaffigan joke where he's talking about how nobody would actually have time to take a bath except for a ruler of ancient egypt because they had nothing to do back then that's how i envision goodell as, as a guy that actually has no true work to do any day and he's just like well I have to make him wait to just, fear my wrath. He just goes like putting magnifying glasses over ants all day. Mm. Outside, not like he doesn't study the ants. He burns them with light. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, this is, <laughs> this is not for, for discovery. This is for burning purposes. Yeah. Right. Like that's that's definitely what's going on there. Uh, so we'll know as draft season gets underway in, in its full capacity, which really is the later part of August. We should have a resolution by then. I think you and I are in agreement, though, that there's not really any reason to expect the suspension appeal to be like one that's successful for Bell. I mean, it would to me it'd be a surprise. It, it, is it impossible? Of course not. But is it likely? No, because why would Roger Goodell back off in this case unless something really bizarre happened? I, I saw uh, an account of some kind that was suggesting that Bell and the the person who gathers the urine, I guess, for the for the test. They, they had some problems maybe getting connected. They had philosophical differences about how to approach. No, I, yeah, it was like something about how they, the like his phone number changed. And it's like, uh, well, then you kind of let them know that you're changing your phone number. You don't get to just be like, oh, I didn't tell you guys I was going to go overseas for like the whole summer. Well, well I did. Bell or the piss man whose phone oh, number no, changed? Bell changed his number. That's kind of on him then. Yeah, that's, it's, that's it's his own very fault. precisely a non-starter. <laughs> like it's not a defense at all. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, th- this whole this whole process of Bell appealing and Goodell doing whatever he'll do it, it, to, to make like that meeting uh, analogy again. It's like Bell's Bell's gonna wait like an hour and a half later than the scheduled meeting time, and then they're gonna let him in, and Goodell's just gonna be like, "Get out of my office," and <laughs> that's that's how it's gonna go. Like he's gonna wait, and he's gonna be like. No, dude, you didn't. You didn't tell us you changed your phone number. Get out. You're four games. Don't talk to me. Four games, and uh, mostly because you you suggested that I was going to overturn this. So now I'm not going to. Only because you posted on Instagram. <laughs> It'd be the most Goodell thing ever if he was just like, he was just like whole year, like <laughs> for for having that for thinking that you could know what I think at all. I always want that to be the case in baseball, though, because in baseball, when guys get suspended for throwing at other players intentionally and then they appeal it, to me, it's just absurd. Like, yeah, they should have the right to an appeal. But in that instance, at least in baseball, NFL's punishments are so different that these rules don't apply really to football. I I feel like if you threw at a guy and got ejected from a game, got a five-game suspension, and then you appeal... On further review, the league should be like, you know, that really was stupid. That merits a 10-game suspension instead. Like in baseball, that should happen. In football, the punishments are so different, it doesn't apply. But if if it were like a a reasonable system by which NFL players were punished, the appeal should come with the downside of a more severe punishment if what you did is deemed worse than they previously realized. But yeah, for sure, uh, Bell is not going to get that kind of... uh, 
a, an extra slap for his insolence it's it's just going to be four games it won't be 16 no because <laughs> they can't they can't add to even, it even but, goodell might be like oh, the legal theory here is dubious i shouldn't do this because i might get in trouble with the players this, association this time this might be morally questionable i won't do it roger goodell quote all right yeah. well we'll move on to some other news items we'll stay at the running back position thomas rawls may miss the start of training camp seahawks begin on saturday uh, for what it's worth coming off ankle surgery we've talked to jeff stotts our injury expert about rawls and I, I think there are, are reasons to be concerned even beyond the health these are things you've pointed out on our xm show before and i don't know if we've really talked about them much on this pod yet so what are your main concerns with thomas rawls outside of the ankle injury that he's coming back from well uh I, I was not high on him as a prospect uh, when he was coming out of Central Michigan last year. Like he he wasn't even on like my undrafted free agent radar. Like he's he had one good year in college at Central Michigan. Uh, before that, he he could not earn any playing time on a Michigan team that didn't exactly have good runners. And um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, so Rawls, uh, he he had and it was he only played nine games at central michigan too uh like he, he had some kind of injury that limited uh kept him out of four games and then in those nine games he caught 10 passes so he didn't really show anything as a receiver and he only averaged 5.3 yards per carry so that, that that's obviously an that's an elite mark in nfl standards but when you're playing in the mac uh, i mean there's like sec guys who average like five and a half yards per carry and it's considered not that great in college and just in terms of like judging a prospect so when you're in the mac uh, you should generally be able to push for like 5.8 six yards a carry if you're cut out for playing in the nfl Rawls didn't do that and then before that like i said he just didn't even get on the field with michigan so he followed that up with a pretty unimpressive workout stats um like he at the combine at 59215 ran a 46540 uh 35 and a half inch vertical is good but uh otherwise uh, he was retimed at the central michigan pro day apparently in like the the excuse me the high four fours uh but that just sounds like garbage hand that's, times yeah like, that's that's he's not that fast like even mischief. even when he's looked good last year he was he did never he never looked like a 4-4 guy yeah stopwatch mischief is a problem at pro days uh, yeah yeah and definitely when it's like a, a central michigan pro day where like no one really cares enough to follow what's going on there and make sure you know protocols are being followed or whatever but either way uh like he was he was great last year and like that can't be denied him and like cj anderson was the same thing for me like he had he had terrible prospect profile but given what he's done at the nfl level i mean the prospect profile kind of just has to fade um in memory because it's it, it just doesn't matter as much as the nfl uh, production would you consider moonlighting uh as a independent stopwatch operator for pro days like if, if if paul christ gave you a call and said sir we we think you're a very honest person would you come run the stopwatch for our for our boys for the pro day would like would you do that i um, bet you that's exactly how paul christ i can't would imagine a way that i can easily enough uh corrupt that like i'd, I'd have to implement like a second uh, axis of of pay where i'm like you know auctioning off a fast response like fast fingers for guys who give me like ten dollars before they run yeah um something like that or or gift cards for pizza yeah like give me the gift cards you don't want as long as those gift cards aren't to like subway um and i'll i'll forge your time for you something like that seems like a pretty good system otherwise i'd say no and and they should just be using electronic timing because come on 
Yeah, it's it <laughs> seems easy it. enough to do. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick back in the saddle for the Jets. Least surprising development of this past month, probably in the NFL. He's got a slim down Brandon Marshall. He's got Jason Morrow back from a torn labrum. All the weapons are, are still there, and you add Matt Forte to the offense as well. But how much do you scale back the output from Fitzpatrick last year, which in a good season was not an efficient season from a YPA standpoint? Right. Uh, 31 touchdowns on 562 attempts is pretty good, but uh, 15 interceptions, a sub-60 completion percentage, a sub-7 YPA. Those, those are like, you know, those are bad peripherals. It, something has to give where either the percentage goes up, uh, the average per pass goes up. Otherwise, like, it's, it's one of those other things is going to give, and I think it'll be the touchdowns. I think they're going to drop by, like I don't know, six, something like that. I think uh, Marshall and Decker will combine for like 20 to 22 touchdowns and, and like they might not have another receiver catch more than one. Uh, Amaro would be Amaro and Forte, obviously. But um, yeah, I, I don't see I don't see Fitzpatrick going over like 26, 27 touchdowns through the air. And another thing to keep in mind with him, uh, he's had injuries in the past, which you would kind of, you know, think was a risk given that he does a lot of scrambling. Uh, but yeah, it, he doesn't have that many 16 game seasons. So maybe if, if only for like a missed game or two, expect that to drop. So the weird thing, too, about Fitzpatrick is that he's played on some very bad teams yeah. and that skews the overall output. So figuring out what his baseline is, is more complicated than most. It would take uh, someone who maybe went, I don't know, to a school like Harvard, perhaps to sit there and really figure it out. But the one thing you can easily lose sight of is that he does run a he bit does, more than yeah. you would think just by looking at the output of his game overall. I mean, pretty regularly runs for about 200 yards. Uh, last year, 270, because it was a full 16-game slate. And a couple TDs, too, which I don't think necessarily goes away this year. I mean, I think that's going to be part of his game. He's going to selectively find his spots to chunk off yardage. 4.5 yards per carry last year for Ryan Fitzpatrick. So the Jets' offense could be slightly better because I think the running game... The, the running back position especially is a little more dynamic with Matt Forte in that backfield as a pass catcher. I think Forte's arrival sort of limits some of the looks that could go to a guy like Amaro otherwise. Mm-hmm. So for me, Amaro's kind of on the outside looking in as far as your your deep sleepers at tight end. But if one of the receivers were to go down, that could certainly open things up quite a bit for Jason Amaro, uh, perhaps in the red zone especially. Yeah, Amaro will have some substantial opportunity this year. It's just like, how is, is it high enough to really make him noteworthy relative to the other fantasy tight ends that we consider? And is he good enough to do anything with it? Uh, both of those are pretty big question marks. So he's kind of at the bottom of that TE2 lottery ticket rankings for me. Like, uh, I like I, I almost pr- I probably prefer I probably prefer uh, Vance McDonald in San Francisco over him just to kind of give how I'm relatively conceptualizing Amaro. But yeah, if if he does take advantage of the opportunity, like I think he has the the raw talent to 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 do that. So if if everything else in his game is polished enough to do it, I, I think he can keep the opportunity. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 also a problem. Like yeah, Forte and then also Bilal Powell was their passing down back last year, so he can get in on that. They don't need Amaro. They're prepared to to operate the offense without him, basically. Yeah, that's that's the thing that makes me a, a little bit underwhelmed by him from day one as someone to stash away. Is I I don't know if that that value that role which could be there 
occasionally might not be there right away from week one and it might not be there each and every week so that's the other problem uh victor cruz has avoided the pup list and is supposed to have practiced today i haven't seen an official report just yet we finished up our xm show 30 minutes ago so haven't really had a chance to dive through what's happened this morning per se but as cruz goes i mean it's a long shot that he's anything close to the player he was before he tore up his knee the calf's been a problem for him more recently Uh, the giants didn't do a lot as far as veteran depth goes they drafted sterling Shepard, who should be the number two receiver even if cruz is completely healthy but is cruz the kind of guy that in dfs if the price is low in the early weeks and everything goes fine throughout camp that you maybe throw in there for 3000 because you could see him doing something as far as just getting some looks from Eli Manning perhaps in the red zone well it is a three receiver offense so it's like if he's if if he's healthy and he's active on game days then he should be on the field and unless like literally you know 80 percent of the receiver targets are getting split up between Shepard and Beckham and that's not going to quite happen uh there should be targets for him i just don't i don't know what reason there is to think that he'll ever be back i think uh i mean like jeff stotts i'm sure could could explain it much better but like when we talk about like acl tears like you know the usual season ending knee injury we're talking about one ligament that that kind of goes over like what like a third or a fourth of the the angle of 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 if you think of this the the knee as like a circle the patella tendon is the thing that goes over the front and like when you don't have it when it when it snaps it like the the kneecap goes up your leg and it's like it's it's almost like in itself holding like half of your knee together whereas the other ligaments are taking on like little splintered degree angles of it so it's 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 a really nasty injury and it's not unexpected you know that when that thing gets compromised your calf has to take on more strain your other knee ligaments presumably do um so yeah it's like it's a really bad injury uh i I always cite this example before cruz uh but jermaine crowell he had 1300 yards seven touchdowns in his second year in the league back in 1999 suffered a torn patella and then uh i think he played 15 more games over the next two years of his career uh he went from an explosive like 17 yards a catch guy to someone who averaged about 10 to 12 and he had three touchdowns in the next two years so it's like he might be he might be able to get on the field and run some routes but it's like what is he really going to be capable of it i I don't i don't know that there's been any advancement in recoveries from patellatin and tears to to think that he won't be another casualty of it yeah it's it's just one of those devastating sorts of injuries that maybe over time there will be some advancement and maybe cruz is part of that but it's a huge unknown as far as what exactly he's going to have physically in the tank even as the season begins, you think about the wear and tear on the knee as the season goes on, too. You have to wonder if second half versus first half, he could fade even if he's back on the field and productive uh, come week one. But I'm just not even taking the lottery ticket there. I think there are other players you can go after late that offer more in terms of, of a ceiling at this point. Uh, Julio Jones was back at practice Friday after he tweaked his leg on Thursday. And the only reason I even knew about it is because it was dubbed breaking news on the ESPN, like top corner of the screen. And when I saw breaking news and Julio Jones's picture, I thought, I thought, thought, okay, Jordy Nelson or Kelvin Benjamin. Fortunately, he was working uh, on the deep ball with Matt Ryan earlier this morning so everything's fine with julio but this is the downside of julio he tends to get nicked up and he has to deal with it and play through it but given that he's been able to produce ridiculous numbers in the past with all these nagging injuries it just makes me wonder if he ever had a year where he was a little healthier than normal could we see something even better than what he's done so far 
Well, he's his, you know, in terms of like athleticism, size, skill set, he he isn't that far from like a, you know, 80 grade or whatever you would put uh, for that kind of stuff. Uh, It's like you would you would say he could be a Calvin Johnson type, but then it's like the only distinction is Calvin Johnson is like all those things at a preposterously big build, whereas Julio Jones is only far above average for for how big he is um the injuries i don't think are going to go away uh but i think it's at at this point we can generally call it more of like a brandon marshall thing where it's like he'll get hurt but he'll play hurt and he'll play very well hurt and even if he misses two games it's like you're not taking him over i would i would not advise anyway taking him over odell beckham or antonio brown so it's like it's not as if there's a fourth candidate there who has enough upside and and you know durability in his own right to safely have have more value than julio jones or at least you know making you making that two game missed possibility actually matter in any substantive way yeah for me it's it's you know it's brown beckham and jones as a tier of their own and you can push and shove as much as you want about which one you want first i I think there's a case to be made for any of them i agree with you that in a volume league in particular you still want brown it's just hard to rely on what jones did last year 136 catches i mean that was 32 more than his previous career high and you factor in the injuries you'd take the under on that number forever as you would with any player because it's just crazy off the charts but uh you get past jones and it's ellen robinson and deandre hopkins and both of those players have flaws even they're, they're both very good players but they're just not in that tier right. with the big three it's it's not close like that maybe if in an alternate universe where like josh gordon uh just went to uh i don't know bible study instead of weed parties or whatever and and he worked really hard all the time (laughs) maybe he would be the kind of guy with the the size the athleticism to to catch up to julio jones's talent level but it's it's yeah hopkins robinson does bryant they aren't there yeah josh gordon though fascinating case and i'm sure he's been discussed on some episodes earlier this week believe it or not I haven't been around much because I'm moving, but with Josh Gordon, I mean, four game suspension factored in trying to put a price on him in a snake draft is a little bit tricky. If you use three receivers and you got a deep enough bench, I see the case for him to be in that 75 to 100 range, probably closer to the 75 range. But you know it comes with the risk where if he slips up again, it's over. Like it's he just he's gone. Like he's just completely gone, and you get nothing. So. Uh- uh, just a random case study here on, on Josh Gordon's new ADP uh, in that MFL 25 that I'm doing with like Chris Liss, Mark Stopa, Kevin Payne, a few other people, Scott Pianowski. Is Vlad in that one? Uh, Vlad is, yes. And like Scott Pianowski. And uh, anyway, um, it was Kevin Payne who took Josh Gordon at the 66th pick. So um, I'm assuming that's his third or fourth receiver. Um, definitely not his second. At least his third, I would think, that late. Oh, uh, let me see. It was his uh, one. Two, it was his fourth receiver. So yeah, yeah. So there you go. So the flex essentially, and then once you get to the bye weeks, you can cycle through. I mean, that's a good spot to be in in a league like that. And in receiver production, especially for that third spot, depending on how aggressive you are at the first two. Is going to fluctuate a little bit more from week to week. So to get a guy like Gordon in there to really stabilize that in a best ball format makes a lot yeah. of sense. And it, 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 how how much helium can there be if, if things are going well during training camp? If you know once he's on the field, he's he's connecting with Robert Griffin. They're showing that big playability that 
could really be there. I mean, Griffin can throw the ball deep and Gordon can get behind the secondary and make big plays. It seems like a great match uh, for those two and as far as their skill sets go, because Josh Gordon can make any quarterback more productive, but for a guy like Griffin, it could be a lot more productive. And then it opens things up for Corey Coleman, too. I mean, Corey Coleman gets a lot less attention when Josh Gordon's back on the field. A lot of people thought that Gordon's reinstatement was like, that means Corey Coleman's not going to do anything this year. I don't agree with that. I think... I think what it means is that the the passing game as a whole, include like it. Sorry to be to be clear, Coleman does lose lose value with that. There's no doubt at all. Um, but I think there is also going to be a an, like an aggregate increase in passing production on that team from Gordon being there. Like they they might have been so run heavy to to begin with planning wise anyway. Uh, largely just because there was no one other than Coleman. It's like what 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 choice do they have? Well, now they have a choice, um, or they could anyway for twelve games. So. I don't. I don't know. What, especially if Griffin's looking vaguely, uh, you know, like he did early in his career. Why not throw the ball more than you planned in April? Like it turns out, you just might be able to do it. I think Coleman's certainly good enough. I, th- I think he's going to be like an All Pro level player pretty soon. Not this year, but uh, those two together—that's that's so much explosiveness. Like Coleman can burn. Like you watch him running routes when he's not wearing football pads. It's like watching somebody run fast forwarded or something. Like just even even just like the twitching and like his hands and feet it just doesn't look like it's human speed so i, I think he's going to be good i, I I'm, I'm glad i got a few robert griffin shares because i think that offense could surprise people especially if duke johnson can decisively claim the lead back role because i i don't have much hope for crowell's upside but duke johnson i still like quite a bit and you get gary barnage at tight end too so a trio Automatic. of good weapons like running routes plus duke johnson out of the backfield is a good pass catcher they have too. speed they have a lot of speed probably the most interesting the browns have been in my lifetime yeah legitimately like at least since the tim couch kevin johnson years i was pretty i was pretty geeked about the tim couch era as a a kid i thought that was going to be a a good time for the cleveland browns Uh, josh doxson is not going to practice until he's 100 percent healthy he's been slowed by an achilles problem i think you take a look at rookie like that on a crowded depth chart it's problematic because it's fewer reps with Kirk Cousins, so it just probably chews away at his early season value in particular. Since we're talking about a player that, you know, barring an injury to one of the other primary pass catchers, which could be at receiver or tight end on that depth chart, his role might be limited in the first half of this season anyway. It probably leads me to stay away from Doxon outside of keeper leagues. Yeah, uh, keeper in dynasty leagues, I think he's got quite a great future, and I I think he doesn't even. It's not so much that he needs the reps for his own effectiveness purposes. I think it's just one of those things where, like, if you're an NFL coach, you follow these various doctrines that are completely baseless and stupid. Um, and one of those things is like, gotta gotta get the reps before you play. It's like even if you're better than the other guy who got the reps, yes, absolutely, especially then. Um, so I think I think Doxon is good enough that he could just suit up one day, and as long as he's conditioned and like just knows the routes that he needs to run, he's going to be better than like anybody else they have really. Um, but he won't get on the field, so what does it matter? And uh, that's that's the only reason I care, and I, I don't think there's much reason to think he's going to get a lot of snaps unless uh, a he gets back into practice soon. And B, you know, you know, somebody at receiver, like you said, gets hurt, or like they perhaps if they move Garson to some to some team, some team team that receiver depth. Uh, but yeah, otherwise, like best case scenario for him this year is like he's a fab pickup because somebody got hurt and they have no choice but to let him p- 
get onto the field. And if he gets on the field, I really like his chances. It, maybe it's like the uh, Devante Parker arc from a year ago yeah. as far as the production is yeah, being exactly. backloaded. And initially, you're kind of disappointed. Maybe he misses some time, too, if this injury lingers. We'll have to see how that part plays out. Uh, Kenneth Dixon suffered a minor MCL sprain. You look at the Ravens' backfield, certainly one where there's an opportunity if Dixon is, in fact, healthy. But for a running back... I look at this as one where he's not on the field learning pass protection schemes and things that matter for yeah. NFL rookie running backs to get on the field quickly. So like Doxon, it's probably more of a second half of 2016 sort of thing. But with Dixon, you look at him and you wonder, can I afford a roster spot in these first seven or eight weeks potentially where it's really going to be a lot of Justin Forsett and Buck Allen? Yeah, it's unfortunate. It could be one of those things that you 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 do see coming away for for months, and like, and yet you you might not just be able to keep him on your bench that long, and then it'll ha- it'll happen late in the second. Like that was what Javorius Allen kind of was for me last year. I was like, I'm not buying this four set stuff. Uh, I bet I bet Allen's going to get on the field, uh, but it was like, well, he's not doing anything for this first like five six weeks. I can't con- t- I can't convince myself of this anymore. Like I lose my faith. I cut him, and then he's like a forty dollar fab pickup. Uh, you know three weeks later uh, i think that's just the way it's doomed to go like he, he might have a lot of value this year you just won't see it coming if it happens yeah it's gonna be one of those players that you stash him you get impatient you have to let him go it follows the someone else is going to cash in on this guy and it might cost him in fab depending on timing and how it works out uh, as you said and, and the health of, of four set could be a pretty big factor too a veteran back like that can hang on to a job longer than we'd expect even if the, the skills aren't exactly what you're looking for in a three down back i mean he catches passes effectively in mark trustman's offense that's going to be important and that's a team where because of the injuries they're dealing with at receiver you could see pretty high volume for four set coming out of the backfield yeah all three of those guys are great receivers like javorius allen kenneth dixon four set all of them um but yeah right now it, to me it looks like it's going to be kind of four sets chance to fail first and if he doesn't then the other ones don't really get a shot as a cheap option in auctions, especially four sets, one of those guys, I don't mind taking the flyer on. I got him in the Stopa League already. I could see maybe getting a share in the Stake League, too. Not expecting necessarily that he's going to make my team like great, but I think he's underpriced for what he might be right. able to do in that setup. Uh, Julian Edelman and Danny Amendola ran some routes on their own Thursday. Uh, also, someone asked Bill Belichick if Jimmy Garoppolo can take Tom Brady's job during Brady's four-game suspension, yep. to which Belichick had a, exactly a two-word response. Not not surprising. Wait, what was the, what was the second word? <laughs> no, it uh, he he just he dropped the the Jesus Christ response. Oh, on he that. did. Yeah, he just that's Are all. You he, that's, that's all he said. That was, wow, I'm, that's I, <laughs> I that was that was the entire response. Which <laughs> look, I mean, like. That, that's that's not that's not my style as far as a, a response to anything. But I, I thought one of the words was no, so I was like, "What's the second one?" <laughs> no, <laughs> like, no he, he was just beside himself that someone would even ask that question, which he should be because yeah. that's, that's, that's an outlandish question. I'm just surprised he showed that much care. I'm surprised. He, I, I, I'm like I, I would have sooner guessed he just didn't respond to it. You know, he should have just he should have uh, saying nothing might have been even more effective. But I, I think even Belichick was just taken aback at how stupid that question. Should have just nose breathed it into the microphone for like forty seconds. Remember when he fumbled the microphone? Like he had some trouble with the the mic adjusting and got pretty upset about it. That that was a clip for like three days. I, I've missed out on all this great Belichick content. I don't know about any of this. That's that was weird. that was last year. But okay. uh, yeah, Belichick just understandably frustrated by the absolute stupidity 
of that question, and I imagine those press credentials maybe have been since revoked. That was this morning that that happened. So I imagine Patriots probably media department on that right that. away. Security I, I, probably like tackled him or something. I, I don't know how how you you muster up the courage if you're going to ask Bill Belichick a question. How you how you land on on that one? Unless yep. someone dared you to do yeah, it. Yeah, give him props for not laughing in the middle of asking the question. Like that that would have been the hard part. Like keeping a straight face as you try to seem earnestly like so man uh thinking about benching and brady i mean <laughs> that would be hilarious actually to uh to get through that somehow I, I i wouldn't be able to do it with a straight face have you ever wished you could be an nfl general manager well now you can thanks to reality sports online a powerful fantasy sports platform where owners get to build and manage their fantasy team like an nfl general manager Reality Sports Online was created by former NFL front office personnel. It features a revolutionary free agency auction room, which mimics NFL free agency, enabling fantasy owners to negotiate and sign the NFL's top talent to single or multi-year contracts. The platform can host up to 32 teams and has tons of other cool features in addition to free agency like a rookie draft, multi-team trades, franchise tags, injured reserve, automated contract and salary cap functionality, and much, much more. Test your general manager skills for free at realitysportsonline.com in a mock free agency auction. If you like what you see, use the promo code WIREPOD to receive a 10% discount on your team or league today. Fantasy just got real at realitysportsonline.com. All right, we're going to talk briefly about auction strategy here, Mario, which is is something I, I really enjoy, in part because I just prefer the auction format to a snake draft whenever possible. I like the flexibility of an auction that you're not really stuck choosing between smaller groups of players trying to figure out you know who's going to fall and when. I think that gets really kind of dicey as you move through draft season, whereas in an auction, if you have a trio of top 10 receivers that you really want you can build your team that way it's an actual option but what have you done in auctions that has worked well or have you found anything that just doesn't work at all as you've gotten more familiar with that format over the last few years well uh one thing that i used to do and do less of now is is like when i when i see a player going for a given price if i if i think oh that's too cheap i need to make the other guys pay more I usually just resist the urge to bid on them in that case, unless it's like a obvious, like it's obviously not going to finalize. Like if if uh, Drew Brees is on the clock at like six dollars, like I'll click you know a dollar more a couple times because I'm not worried about it. But it, once it looks like they might plausibly sell, I'll at least stay back at that point because it's like if I if I'm not prepared to commit to that player, it's just it's not worth the risk to me. Um, more generally, what I try to do is like I try to map out. Uh, a group of players that could kind of loosely correlate to a snake draft placement so that I can uh, kind of give myself some loose budget discipline by just kind of making note like, oh, well, if I have like three plausible first round picks on my roster already, I better be prepared to leave a bunch of money, you know, basically go way cheap for a few picks to kind of balance things out. Um, so yeah, like try to I try to imagine almost like well that guy's loosely the equivalent of my first round pick and uh, my next pick has to be a you know less expensive to be my second or third round guy something like that and then I I try to end up loosely with like a team that kind of resembles what I would get in a snake draft uh, because you know the snake the snake system 
uh, imposes, you know, that budget discipline in the form of not letting you have any say at all. Um, so I, I kind of try to mirror that if only because I'm, I'm usually pretty happy with what I get in snake drafts. So the, the roster construction, I think, is a, is a big factor. But generally speaking, when it comes to a football auction, I tend to build my teams in more of a stars and scrubs sort of way. Right. Um, in baseball, you're going to see a more balanced approach, especially like in an AL only, an NL only league or a very deep league. Uh, if you got like 15 or more teams in a mixer, the replacement level of players is uh, is pretty low in those deeper leagues. So then you want to make sure that you have good coverage every position. But in fantasy football, it just makes so much more sense to me to be very aggressive, to have bench players that mostly cost a buck or two. You don't want to spend more than a buck on your defense. Right, you really yeah. don't want to spend two on a kicker, which is actually one of the weird strategy things. I think Dalton Deldon was the first person I saw do it. I don't know if he's the complete like original proprietor of this strategy, but early on in an auction, if you want a kicker, like if you just like Steven Goskowski more than most, throw him out for a buck. And if someone pays two, they're just the guy that paid if, two if for Mike a Doria kicker. Bids three. That that's the most baffling one of all <laughs> is when 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 Doria goes three on Goskowski. I just I'd rather have Guskowski probably than any other kicker in the league, but not to the point where I'm willing to spend auction dollars on it because at some point that owner either has to cut him loose for a week and you can try to pick him up then when the bye weeks come or they have to roster a second kicker, which is going to lead them to cut something else. It just doesn't make enough sense to pay more than a dollar. But early on, if you want to get a kicker or a defense and you want to only pay a dollar for a top four or five option at those spots, throw them out early because most other owners in the room are not going to want to spend an extra buck early on on a kicker or a defense yeah in in general i try to nominate people who i i think i have no use for at the very least uh even if, even if i think they're pretty good but like for if i've already got julio jones at like 45 dollars or something i might nominate uh odell beckham just to try to get people to spend a lot of money on somebody that i have no interest in anyway um, you know, basically try to get the rest of the the people in the auction to to have a lesser budget um, to kind of just give a little bit of assurance that down the road I might I might not have to go against you know loaded wallets when I actually have a need to add a certain player. Uh, but yeah, like you said, you don't want to you don't want to leave money on your bench like that. I mean, depth is good, obviously, but ha- having having like money left over at the end of an auction or having money sitting on your bench at the direct expense of having a lesser starter that doesn't help you in any way. No, it really doesn't. So you'd rather just pay up for the top tier players that you like. You got to go a couple bucks over value. To me, that's not as big of a deal in football either. Uh, your auction values, you want to be prepped up. You want to have the Rotowire draft software, the Mac PC version, or you can go get the, the iOS version. Those dollar values are a really helpful guide, but as you go through the first handful of players, especially, you might realize that all the top wideouts are going to cost you $5 more than the projected cost, and it's worth paying up the extra $5 for that player as opposed to later on controlling the middle part of the auction where you're you're getting value you're saving two or three bucks on a 15 dollar receiver getting that player for 12 doesn't help you as much as it does in baseball so i think you want to be a little more aggressive a little more stars and scrub centric uh but as you mentioned before you said you know part of it is sometimes trying to get money out of the pool with regards to how you're managing the auction 
to me, nominating a player is actually kind of important because it controls a lot about what's happening. You might throw a player out because a similar player just went for a price that you thought was very fair. So now you're trying to sneak through someone you like for a couple bucks less than you expected. Maybe you're trying to get money out of the pool, though, because it is later on. You've spent a lot so far and you already have a quarterback, but Andrew Luck is still available to be nominated so you throw luck out there for five and let the broom fight over him for 25 or right. 30 and that draws money out of the pool for later when you're trying to get some of your lower end guys uh, without having several owners in the room who can just go three or four on a player that you think maybe is only going to go for one or two yeah and um as far as also uh you know just just getting good value i i I probably have done this in the past, but I guess I didn't realize it explicitly, but kind of kind of like a slight different spin on the Dalton trick there is I guess it doesn't hurt to before your draft uh, for when you have to nominate single out a bunch of people who you would be happy to have at one dollar at any position even and just you can if you, you can nominate them and if it turns out no one wants to bid on them and you get them for a dollar that that at least answers a question of like well now i got one of my bench spots filled and i don't have to worry about this particular role and if other people go wild bidding on them then at least you're like oh well somebody bid three dollars on somebody i wouldn't have paid three dollars for you know it's yeah little things that over like you know auctions take forever so like those little decisions can result in you having like three more dollars to bid on you know your starting tight end that one other guy is competing with you like for so that that's what i always i try to avoid that situation at the end of an auction where i'm like uh, me and like three other people have this whole time been banking on this one fallback plan and i get there and, and like they have two more dollars than me that sucks so much to have to go from like your ideal option to somebody you just don't want on your team all because you had you spent two dollars too many in the previous however many rounds it's been yeah then then aside from getting maybe that tight end that you don't want to fill that spot you're going to pay a couple extra bucks for some end game guys you look at and you're like well this is okay but i'd rather have had that tight end that i i didn't get uh my my favorite auction anecdote i think was in um i don't the problem is i don't even remember the guy's name but uh oh daryl richardson uh the the rams running back oh my goodness uh, in the stake league like jason thornbury and some other person had both been targeting him as their second running back and like they punted at running back like the whole draft pretty much uh and then somebody nominated daryl richardson and somebody paid like $35 $35 it was ridiculous. for him or something. Yeah, it was. It, it was. it was crazy. And it was a bad decision, let me be clear. But you can see how, like, if you if you just corner yourself like that, it all of a sudden becomes somewhat rational to do something incredibly stupid. So that's where the basic tenant for me of, of just always having a price outline for every player yeah. matters. Because yeah, totally. it, you, you don't... You you have some tiers. You have a, a like a loose idea of what you want to do, but it's not it's not a completely detailed script either. Like so, you have to be willing to be a little bit more flexible in an auction because that's where some of that value might be. You know, you might think uh, I want one of Julio or Odell Beckham or Antonio Brown. I have to have one of those three. But if you see Mike Evans go for seven bucks or five bucks less than you expected. Well, now you've got Mike Evans instead, and you probably can't afford one of those big three receivers to pair with him. So you got to slightly alter the rest of your kind of related strategy as a result of how your receiving core was started. And to me, that's better than letting Evans go to somebody else for five or seven dollars yeah. under value. Yeah, yeah. There's obviously nothing wrong with going into a draft thinking like, okay, I'm going to pay fifty one for 
uh, Odell or Julio or whatever. And then it turns out, yeah, it's like, oh, well, I didn't realize getting Mike Evans for 23 was an option. And then you can end up with uh, maybe a Mike Evans and an Allen Robinson instead of an Odell Beckham and a John Brown, something like that. Yeah, like so have a few combinations of players or types of players in mind where it's like, oh, if this happens, I'm going to alter my strategy and then do this instead because you're going to need that flexibility uh, as uh, the auction rolls along um anything else you could think of as far as as things that you've learned either things you like to do now that you didn't used to do or something maybe that you used to do that you've kind of pivoted away from because it's proven to be something that doesn't actually go the way you like not especially but i i'll i'll say this uh i know in our stake league this year if i get the chance i'm gonna i'm just gonna nominate like jj watt and stuff like that just to get just to get people chasing people that i don't want but uh yeah it's that kind of like, like that's gonna be my whole nomination approach i think like one dollar guys like one dollar bids on guys that i'd be happy to have on my roster at one dollar and then just players like that i'd want other people to fight over yeah i'm trying to think i mean that league is going to be different this year too if i'm not mistaken i think we're going to have two 12 team leagues or something <laughs> instead of one 16 team really? league I, I heard a rumor of that but i haven't seen anything from from pete and he's the commish huh so weird if that switches to a 12 team league that, that changes, changes it a lot significantly I mean, yeah. in, in 10 and 12 team leagues are a lot more common than, than the 16 team auction that we did last year for the last couple of years so that would change up a little bit about what i want to do but as far as like cheap one dollar guys that i like that i would throw out early i don't really have a, a baseline of players like that yet like i don't right. really that to me that's kind of a a non-existent group right now are, are you well i my, my my definite favorite would be uh, a couple quarterbacks and tight ends i guess like a like a robert griffin i would i mean he's been going on un, undrafted in a bunch of 12 teamers that i've been doing so uh something like that because uh if you just have a if you just have a wildly different evaluation of a player than the general public does uh that that's kind of a classic case but otherwise like a, a vance mcdonald at tight end a jason morrow something like that uh guys who there's plausibly no two dollar demand for but you would kind of be you know happy to have as as just a punt backup type um yeah i don't know i'm trying to i'm trying to think of like a wide receiver case of that um chris hogan maybe yeah like uh, in obviously a couple months ago it would have been like a josh gordon but like now you maybe uh geez i don't know sammy coates that's Sammy Coates, sometimes those, sometimes those are the guys that, that that's a classic case of like who i would nominate uh but they could go for like three or four dollars but then if it's like if they do i'm like eh, i'd rather just see them go now and know i won't have them as an option than like pray that they're going to be like my wide receiver four and then turns out five other people have the same idea later um but yeah otherwise like i'm, I'm trying to remember uh other receivers um but yeah, gen- generally it's 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 easier at like probably tight end and quarterback, and maybe like you can single out some like a Jordan Howard at running back or something like that. Uh, someone who you're prepared to just n- cut or not care about, but you st- you still like get the function of that lottery ticket type upside. I don't know Terrell Pryor for a dollar. <laughs> he's he's probably a little bit off my radar, but <laughs> like I, I I I might I might you know go after like Blaine Gabbert one dollar or something like that. Yeah, it's a good way to get a few extra bucks a, out of the if pool. If it's a $1 kind of thing, you I mean, you got to be prepared for the possibility that your non-pricey picks are going to be guys that you might have to cut anyway. So, I don't know. I'd, I'd rather aim high with that type of thing, I guess. 
Uh, that, that makes a lot of sense. Now, certainly that's not going to cover every angle of auction strategy, no, but no. hopefully it's a, it's a good general primer. If you're thinking about playing in an auction this year instead of a snake draft, I highly recommend making the switch. A lot of the rooms out there, Yahoo, ESPN, uh, make it very easy to switch over, and they're, they're very functional rooms. I think your yeah. league, year one could be a little awkward, uh, especially early in your first auction. People might be a little hesitant, a little timid, so if you go in with a plan and you know kind of what you want to do and what you're willing to pay for players. You can be a little aggressive early on. That's true. And maybe get some deals, and then other teams might realize, hey, i got to spend this money. I don't I don't want to have $20 left. Yeah, having money left over is, is bad. Miserable. It's yeah. a miserable way to go. But if you if you got any questions, you can let us know. At NFL Draft underscore RW on Twitter. That's Mario's handle. I'm at Derek Van Riper, and we can try to break those down in a, in a future episode it's going to wrap things up for the friday installment of the rotowire fantasy football podcast sponsored by realitysportsonline.com be sure to use that promo code wirepod and sign up today have a great weekend nick and i are back with you on monday Your backyard's right in our backyard, which means we have hand-picked products that are right for the birds in your neighborhood, like premium bird seed, suet, birdhouses, and feeders. Stop by your local Ace and get everything you need to attract the birds you want, including Ace Wild Bird Food, on sale now. Now through Tuesday only, when you buy two 20-pound bags of wild bird food, get a third bag free, only at Ace, the helpful place. Offer valid through February 28th at participating stores.